Okay, so, so far, in chapter 3, we saw that the seven days of silence uh, is broken by Job, who begins, you know, giving a, a long spill, spelling out his utter hopelessness and misery. He, uh, at this point, he's a man going through just about everything that a person can possibly go through. He is enduring the worst possible suffering that uh, you could possibly imagine. And, and in, in chapter 3, he began to be very vocal about what he was experiencing, the suffering and the sorrow and, <clears throat> and all the things that he was going through. Now, we have to remember that, that up until this point, Job's friends, they have been, they've been good friends. Um, they've sat in silence and mourned with Job and, and have walked through him, walked with him through what he was going, going through. And they were just there. They were there to comfort him. They were there to come alongside him and, and, uh, and just to suffer with him. But now that Job has given voice to all his woes and all his sufferings and all those things, the friends are going to feel the need to, respond to respond to job's um complaints and and to comfort job and the first one to speak is eliphaz and uh, his speech is given in chapter four and chapter five so um i'm going to try to uh, go through both of those uh, in this in this section but before we go looking at what um, eliphaz actually says and how he says it we need to make sure we remember that we know, as readers of Job, we know why he is suffering. Unlike everybody else in the book, we, the readers, are told uh, about the secret counsel that Satan had with God uh, when they spoke about Job, and we're also aware uh, of God's feelings about Job. So, um, as we see the unhelpful advice of his friends, we must always keep in mind that we're the only ones that have the whole story. Neither Job nor his friends um, know about the exact reason why he's suffering. Um, it's not told to them, but we as the readers, we know why he's suffering. We know that God has found him righteous in his ways. We know that um, Satan challenged God to test Job. and So we know those things, and those are things that we have to keep in our mind as we listen to the advice that Eliphaz gives and that would translate over to advice that we may give when someone's suffering or or you know how we think about things when we're suffering. Uh we in this in this in this section we're in a unique position to judge whether the friends are giving Job accurate advice or or whether they're not. We're we're also in a unique position to see how some of the things that uh, the friends say are actually true things but they don't apply to Job in his situation. So there, there's a fine line of of truth and error that, that goes on through the friend's advice. We're going to have to examine that as we come to it. So uh, with all that in mind, let's look at how Eliphaz attempts to counsel Job um, after Job's you know, first diatribe in in. Verses 1 through 21 of chapter 4, Eliphaz is basically going to question Job's faithfulness. And he's going to offer him the standard uh, religious explanations and advice that you've probably heard 
over and over again. This is this is going to be the central theme pretty much through the book of Job. All the advice from, from all three friends is going to center around the belief that God does not allow good people to suffer. Therefore, Job must be hiding some secret sin. He must have done something to cause God to allow this suffering to come upon him. And at first, they're going to uh, they're going to be really polite about it, and they're going to give advice that they believe is helpful to try to restore Job. But as Job, we're going to see he's going to maintain uh, his testimony throughout that uh, he has been nothing but devoted to God, and he has no uh, unrepented sin that he's aware of. And, and as he uh, maintains his innocence, as he goes to tell them that, you know, he, he he's not fitting in the categories they're giving him, the friends are going to start getting more and more aggressive with Job. And it's just, uh, it's amazing to watch as this thing unfolds. Um, but, it, you know, there seems to be an, an overriding theme among all the friends' advice to Job, and that is based in in... Well, what I would term a, a works righteousness religion. Uh, every religion of man, except you know, except Christianity, deals with God on a basis of man's works. What I mean by that is, if if you do good, God will give you good things in this life, and if you do bad, God will give you bad things in this life. Um, and we'll flesh all that out the more we work through Eliphaz's you know speech. So he starts really, really nice in verses 1 and 2. It says, Then Eliphaz the, the Temanite answered and said, If one ventures a word with you, will, will you be impatient? Uh, yet who can keep from speaking? Uh, isn't that sweet that <laughs> he's saying, Job, you know, I'm just trying to help you. Don't be mad at me, but I know I can help you. I can fix your problem. In fact, you, you already know the answer, Job. Eliphaz is he's about to appeal to their religious tradition, mankind's religious tradition that uh, we all kind of have in the back of our mind. He's going to tell Job how God operates based on all the experience of the wise men and, and those who have come before. It uh, I mean, it really seems like good advice, but... <clears throat> Although this worldly wisdom may be helpful sometimes, it 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 just can't provide the foundation that Job needs or any person needs when they're going through the toughest trials and sufferings of life. Um, only God can provide that, and you don't come to God through your pious religion. You come to Him by grace through faith. So first, Eliphaz says Job is... Basically, he's going to say that he's forgetting the very basics that he knows um, as to what is true. He says that Job has helped many people, but when he falls into suffering, he's acting like a big old baby. Verses 3 to 5 say, Behold, you have instructed many, is what Eliphaz says to Job, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling. And you have made firm the feeble knees. These things Job had done. It says, verse 5 says, But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dis dismayed. Uh, apparently, Job was a pretty good guy. 
You know, he was not only one of the great men of the East, but evidently he had helped many people through suffering. He had helped many people uh, go through trials. He had strengthened and comforted people. And uh, here we can see clearly uh, another example of Job's piety and and his devotion to God, his righteousness. Um, He surely wasn't sinless, but before God, we know that he was blameless. God told us so. Um, And, of course, you can go back to the other lectures, but that's based upon uh, the faith of Job and the sacrifices he offered, you know, as he looked forward to those sacrifices pointed toward the Messiah and the the true sacrifice. But Eliphaz is telling Job that he's not following his own advice. He's helped so many others through trial, but when trial hit him, he's crying like a little baby. You know, he's dismayed, he's tormented, he's impatient. Of course, we know the whole story, but I have to say that I don't think I would have stood, uh, I don't think I would have stood as faithful as Job had been so far. He, he uh, if you think back to, to how Job has handled all this so far, he, he held fast to his integrity. He held fast and he, he didn't curse God with his lips and... Uh, so Eliphaz is, uh, you know, he is, uh, he's kind of, um, throwing out accusations, uh, where Job is suffering. But of course we know from the text so far that, that Job has handled this whole thing a whole lot better than I probably would have. Um, he's a man that went through more than we can imagine. And if, if anyone has a right to cry like a baby, it's, it's Job. And then, of course, Eliphaz is he's going to sneak in a little jab at Job. Uh, this will be the first of many, but most of them later on in the book won't be this polite. He says in verse 6, Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? He says, let me read it again. He says, Is not your fear of God your confidence? Now, at first you read that and it sounds like, wow, that, well, that's a good thing. You know, our fear of God is our confidence, our trust in the Lord. Uh, but Eliphaz doesn't mean it that way. He, notice that it is not God himself who is Job's confidence, according to, according to what Eliphaz's accusation is. But it is Job's fear of God that he, is his integrity. Uh, many people do uh, this same thing today we think that uh, he's he's not trusting actually in god he's this is what eliphaz is accusing him of this is of course we know it's not true but he's not trusting in god per se he is trusting in his devotion to god he's saying god you you need to look and see the the devotion that I've had to you you need to look and see my faith and reward me for what I'm doing it's not God who has his um, his has his uh, ultimate love it's not God in whom he puts his trust his trust is found in his faith his trust is found in his devotion and he's basically saying my devotion is so high to you God that you uh, you must reward me for my devotion. This is what Eliphaz is accusing Job of. After Job has complained and Job has illustrated about his suffering, Eliphaz is accusing him of not actually trusting God, but thinking that you're too good for God to allow this suffering to go, you know, come into your life. Uh, 
a lot of people do that today. We think that our, our works of faith and devotion earn us something before God. However, you know, the reality is that everything we receive from God is by grace. It, it comes through our faith in Jesus Christ, but it isn't because of our faith. You can't look at God and say, God, you owe me because I have faith in you. Uh, that may be a little confusing, but what I'm trying to say is that we think that we are doing what must be done to earn God's favor. And instead of God and his grace being our confidence, we think uh, the things we have done, uh, such as trust and faith and repentance and those things, earn us something before God. And, and we make that our confidence. We make, you know, we are, are confident that I can stand before God. Why? Not because God is gracious and not because God has, has shown mercy upon me, but because I am so faithful, but because I trust him so much, but because, because I have repented uh, so much. And uh, there's a very fine line in there between, between true um, devotion to God and, and idolatry. So in essence, Eliphaz is saying that Job is trusting in his own faithfulness to God rather than trusting in God himself. Now, we know as readers of the text, we know that this is not so. Eliphaz is wrong about Job, but that is a common trap that, that a lot of people fall in. They think they're they're earning something by doing what God expects them to do. It, it kind of reminds me of um, the parable of the servants. Uh, that Jesus tells in Luke 17, where the servant who works for his master all day, he doesn't have the right to come home and sit at the table with him at supper. He must serve him first, and his working for the master doesn't earn him any rights. That is simply his duty. That's what he's supposed to be doing. And uh, Jesus explains that in, in Luke 17. It's, it's the same way with God's people. We, we receive everything from God by grace, not because we're owed anything. Um, how many times have you thought, God, I trust in you and I'm serving you. How could you do this to me? And um, that's basically the mindset of, of those who say, I deserve more than what I'm getting because I have been so faithful to you. I have been so devoted to you. Um, and that's basically what Eliphaz is accusing Job of. Next, Eliphaz is going to counsel Job uh, from the traditions of men. He's going to offer Job the advice of almost every religion on the planet. You know, everyone except Christianity, of course, but nominal Christianity and those who uh, who are religious, for lack of a better word, uh, rather than born again, uh, they fall into this category as well, those false converts. Um, every religion of man says that if you do good, good will happen to you. They also say if you do evil, evil will happen to you. The basic premise of every religion of man is, is a works-based system. You work good things, and God rewards you with good things. He says in verse 7, uh, Eliphaz says, Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? Verse 8 says, As I have seen, he's talking about from his experience, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Verse 9, By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. Now, it may seem like a contradiction here from what we just talked about earlier. Uh, but remember, uh, 
Eliphaz was telling Job, here he's saying, you know, God only does good to good people who do good. God only allows bad things for people who do bad. Uh, but earlier, it seemed like Eliphaz was telling Job that he was trusting in his good. Well, the the underlying foundation of Eliphaz's thought pattern is that Job has some secret sin. He has some 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 uh, you know uh, some fox in the hen house that he's not letting go of and that he won't admit, and that's why God is punishing him. And so Eliphaz, up to this point, has been saying that it's your it's your false piety that you're trusting in. And here he's saying, look, we know this is the way the world works. We know that God only gives good to those who do good. And we know that God only allows bad to those who do bad. Um, he's giving Job advice based on everything that they think they know from tradition and experience and, and worldly religion. Basically, the point of his counsel is that all suffering is God's judgment on those who are wicked and sinful. So if you're suffering, then that must mean you're wicked and sinful. He says, who that was innocent ever perished? In, in his mind, good people don't suffer. Those who are uh, righteous before God don't suffer. God doesn't allow suffering to be inflicted on those who are innocent. This is what Eliphaz is saying. Uh, there, are, there are two very important things that we need to make sure that we keep in mind when we're thinking about the speeches of Job's friends as we go uh, and look at them through this book. Number one being that uh, they are talking about what God allows to happen to people in this life. Uh, we know that there will come a day when the wicked will be completely cut off and separated from God. We know that uh, that those who are in Christ will be eternally with Him where there is no suffering and their, their good works will follow them because of what Christ has done in their heart. But Eliphaz is telling Job that it's in this life that only the wicked suffer and... Uh, the innocent only get what's good from God. So we know that isn't so. Jesus himself said, you know, in this life you will have suffering. And Jesus himself suffered. And he was the perfect man. So we know for a fact that, that Eliphaz's counsel is, is off base right here. Uh, uh, the second thing we, we have to remember is that according to Scripture... There is no one on the planet who is, who is truly innocent. Romans 3 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory uh, of God. And it also says that there is not a single person on the planet who is righteous. So if Eliphaz's counsel is true, then there is no one on the planet who will ever receive anything good from God. Now think about that for a minute. If Eliphaz's counsel is true, then... No man, not you, not me, not my grandmother, not my daughter, not Job, not Eliphaz, not anybody uh, would ever receive anything good from God. Yet we look at our lives and we see good everywhere. More often than not, you are allowed to enjoy things, you know, in, in your life. You enjoy all kind of things. And so... Uh, good does come. So we know that this is not true, but we know that it's coming because of the grace of God, because it is true that there is no one righteous and we don't deserve 
anything. We know this isn't so as well because the gospels tell us that God makes it, you know, God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. So there is a sense in which Eliphaz is right. God uh, doesn't bring suffering to the innocent uh, because there are no innocent people who are in Adam. But but we know that in this case, Eliphaz is wrong. He's wrong to apply this standard to Job. He's wrong to, uh, to counsel Job in this way. Job is not suffering as punishment for his sin. We know that because of um, the, the first couple of chapters of Job and what God has shown us. According to Eliphaz's counsel, only those who are wicked and plow iniquity receive the judgment of God in the form of suffering in this life. He, he continues by saying that even the strongest of men here is probably implying that that Job is among them are are subject to God's judgment of suffering if they do if they do evil. Verses ten and eleven talk about the young lions and the and the proud lions' teeth being broken and and even the old lions that are starved out. Eliphaz is looking upon Job in his suffering, and he and all he sees is a man suffering because of his own evil, because of his own sin. In his mind, he's probably thinking God wouldn't ever let this happen to someone, you know, who was a good person. And we know that's wrong. We know Eliphaz has given wrong advice. But, you know, a lot of us have the worldview. We have this worldview of, of Eliphaz, even if we don't realize it. The world says that, that people get what they deserve. The law of karma, you know, it's, it's made its way into our thinking whether we accept it or not. Have you ever seen someone going through suffering uh, so terrible and you just you just automatically assume that there's something in their life that is the cause? There has to be a reasonable, tangible cause to what is going on with you. It can't just be, uh, you know, a freak accident. It can't just be a thing that has happened. Uh, because that would uh, that would cause us to lose control. It would cause us not to be able to think through. It would cause us to to understand our own weakness and the the fragility of life and and how we're not in control of of, of anything. You ever looked at a child uh, suffering through a horrible disease and thought, "Why in the world would God let this happen? What did this child ever do?" And and of course, that's not the point. The child very well may have done absolutely nothing, um, as in the case of Job. Uh, but God does not always bring suffering into people's lives just for the sake of punishment. That is the worldview that we have to get rid of. We can't say uh, they must have uh, done something. They must have done something that makes them deserve that. Uh, the fact that we just, you know, we just don't know. We just don't know. Uh, we can't let it just fly into our mind that, well, you know, why would God let this happen to an innocent person? Um, it happens to innocent people all the time. We live in a Genesis 3 world. Suffering is a reality. Um, it's a fallen world and it's filled with suffering. Uh, regardless if you're a believer or not, regardless of who you are, um, of course, we know, we know, what I'm saying is we know that from a biblical perspective, all people are sinners and we, we don't deserve anything but wrath. But by God's grace given through Christ, we have 
peace with God, and he works all things for our good. That's Romans 8.28. Uh, we also see that from a worldly point of view, there are many ungodly people who seem to have it all going on. They seem, you know, they have money, they have success, and, and all the things you know, people consider to be good things. Yet, here we have Job, who we know is a righteous man. I mean, God's own mouth told us that he was a righteous man. And he is going through the most unimaginable suffering. So what are we to make of it? I mean, the question is simply, are we going to believe what the world and our own minds tells us about the reason for suffering? That it's because we must have done something that caused it? Or are we going to trust what the scripture says? Um, it is a, it's a very sticky situation and it's a, a trap very easily fallen into when we see suffering around us, even when we counsel those who are suffering, uh, to think that there has to be a decision they made, an act that they've done, something that has caused the suffering. In many cases, there may be. But in in many cases, especially in this case of Job, the, there is no, there is no um, determinative factor that says why. Job is going through this. And I just want to say, when you and I go through suffering, that's the first question we ask. God, why are you doing this to me? What did I do to deserve this? And uh, what we have to do is have this theological foundation under us to understand that in this life we will have suffering. Have you sinned? Of course you have. I have as well. Uh, but if Christ has Christ has saved you, Christ has uh, atoned for your uh, sins, there will never be a time in this life or in the next that you will receive punishment for your sin. You will, <clears throat> excuse me, you will receive discipline as a loving father disciplines you, you know, when you go off as his child and go off into sin or, or move to, start moving down that path, he will come and chastise you. He will come and discipline you and that may include some suffering. But as far as punishment for your sin, um, it, it doesn't always follow that if you are suffering in this life, it's because of something that, uh, that you have caused. Um, but Eliphaz isn't through. You know, he's not done by a long shot. Next, he counsels Job by telling him about an experience that he had. First, he counseled him looking through the eyes of experience and human tradition. Now, he's going to counsel him through the eyes of some you know, mystical divine revelation that he thinks he, he received. He backs up his uh, man-made religion with a, a mystical experience. He's going, to, he's going to base his knowledge on the fact that God told him something. Uh, this always makes me a little nervous when people say, God told me this, you know, personally, uh, in, in, a, in an audible voice kind of way, uh, or in a dream or something like that. Eliphaz relates... Uh, this experience where God spoke to him. He says in verse 12, he says, Now a word was brought to me stealthily. My ear received the whisper of it. Amid thoughts from visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me, and trembling which made all my bones shake. Uh, a spirit glided past my face, and the hair uh, of my flesh stood up. I stood still, but I could not discern, discern its appearance. A form was before me, was before my eyes. There was silence, and then I heard a voice. Boy, that's, that's pretty freaky, right? 
Eliphaz had this uh, existential encounter with God. Uh, how in the world can you argue with that? Eliphaz must be right. You know, it reminds me of of people who say, you know, God told me that you you know you're supposed to go, you know, left at the crossroads or whatever. You know, you're supposed to do this or do that. I always want to ask him if I should add that to you know, should that be Revelation? Uh, chapter 23, you know, should I add that to God's word? Because you say it was God's word that came to you. Is that on the same level as scripture? And usually I get into all kind of a, a big mess with that. So uh, this this big experience happened to Eliphaz. So what was the words that God spoke to him? Uh, he says, verse 17, Can mortal man be in the right before God? And can a man be pure before his maker? Now, that was the words that God <clears throat> supposedly spoke to Eliphaz in his dream. But now you, you, you can probably take this a few different ways. Of course, uh, we know that in the strictest sense, mortal man cannot be in the right before God. Not on his own, not in his own strength. But, but I think Eliphaz is saying much more than this. He's, he's, he's saying, can man be more righteous than God, but you know, because of the construction and the way it's worded, he he he's trying to get across to Job um, that God is just and righteous, and that Job doesn't really have the right to question what God is doing. To say that God has allowed suffering to come to Job while Job is claiming to be innocent is to say that Job is more of a just and pure being than God is. He's saying he's Eliphaz is accusing Job of calling God unfair. Uh, of course, we know that uh, that this isn't the case. We know that suffering is not coming upon Job because of anything he has done against God. But Eliphaz says that if this is true, Eliphaz says that if Job is right and God is allowed suffering to come upon him because of not because of his sin or in punishment for what he's done. Uh, if that's true, then Eliphaz's reasoning is uh, Job is being more than prideful, and he's setting himself above God. He He's saying that he is more righteous than God. Basically, uh, what Eliphaz is accusing Job of here is saying that Job uh, thinks he is more righteous than God because God wouldn't have let this come upon him if he didn't deserve it. But Job is saying that he didn't deserve it, so Job is elevating himself above God. Uh, he continues in <clears throat> verse 18, he says, Even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. So even the angels are, are sinners. How can you claim to be innocent? Verse 19, How much more those who dwell in houses of clay? How much more sin do you have? Whose foundation is in the dust and who are crushed like the moth. Between morning and evening they are beaten to pieces. Talking about man. They perish forever without anyone regarding it. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they not die and that without wisdom. Eliphaz is told, supposedly by God himself, that all the unrighteous suffer. Man can't be pure and holy, or more pure and more holy than his maker. 
Uh, even the angels aren't perfect before God. So how in the world can mortal man expect to be? Basically, he's calling Job a liar. He's calling Job, telling Job, you just don't understand if you're claiming to be innocent. Of course, you know, we've already seen in Scripture where this is so that men cannot be right before God. But the problem is that because of this truth, Eliphaz is implying that the reason Job is suffering is because God has decided to punish Job for some sin that he has in his life that is unrepented of. Now, <clears throat> at first this seems reasonable. You know, it, uh, when you think about it, though, Eliphaz is standing over Job, and Eliphaz isn't suffering, but Job is suffering. And Eliphaz is saying that the reason God brings suffering and has brought it to Job in this life is because of their great sin. And he's saying that you know men die without wisdom because of their unrighteousness. So here we have to pause and, and just see the logic of Eliphaz's counsel, and also where he misses the point. We know that he is right and man cannot be just and perfect before God. We also know that God is right to dispense judgment whenever and wherever he sees fit. But this explanation doesn't really help Job, uh, nor does it explain why Job is suffering. In fact, if Eliphaz's advice is taken you know, drawn out to its logical conclusion, then all men everywhere, without exception, should expect the same kind of suffering that Job is experiencing. You see, Eliphaz is telling Job that no man is righteous, and God only punishes the unrighteous, yet here Eliphaz is giving Job this counsel, and he's not suffering. So does this mean that Eliphaz is in some way better or more godly than Job? Uh, of course, we know the answer. You know, in God's eyes, Job was blameless, and and later in the book, we'll see that God charges Job's friends with error. But here, yet we have Job suffering, and the friends are not suffering. So, uh, his counsel is—it seems at first blush to be uh, reasonable and uh, and and thought through. But we see that it's it's based in experience, it's based in tradition, it's based in worldly uh, ideas about religion, and it's not based in who God is and who man is and why he suffers. It's not based in, in reality. So we see that Job is a blameless man suffering more greatly than anyone has ever suffered, and this leads the friends to conclude that Job's sin must be greater than any man's before him. Now, all, although we know this isn't true in Job's case, one cannot help but uh, you know, think of the only truly perfect man who suffered greater than any other man in history, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered under the wrath of God more than any other man, yet there was no man who came close, not even a distant second, to the perfection of life that embodied you know, the God-man, Christ himself. Um, Job here is a type foreshadowing the Lord. You know, he's suffering as a righteous man, and he's spoken of as blameless by God, yet God allowed his suffering, and here's the point, for a redemptive purpose. Jesus suffered for a redemptive purpose, and here Job is suffering for a redemptive purpose. He's, surf, sur he's suffering for a good reason, and I don't mean a good reason because God's punishing. His suffering was to redeem, Jesus' suffering was to redeem mankind from sin. 
And in a similar way, you know, of course, it's not exactly, it's not an exact parallel, but Job's suffering is not a punishment for his own sin. It is a redemptive suffering which will result in his own growing closer to God and making known God's glory and power and uh, revealing more of God's nature. God has a good reason. It's a reason which is good for Job's suffering. And it's not just punitive. It's not just punishment. It's not just wrath unleashed. It is for God's glory. It's to show his power. It's to show his attributes as as the God of the universe. It is a um I want to say it's a it's a good thing, you know, of course, but Job going through it would definitely disagree that it's a good thing. And 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 we go we do the same thing when we suffer. <clears throat> It's hard for us to hold on to the fact that, uh, especially as believers in Christ, that this is not punishment for your sin. If you trusted in Christ and Christ paid for your sin, that punishment was taken at the cross. And you may be disciplined, you may be chastised, but you will never be punished for that sin. That punishment was taken by the Son of God. Isn't that a hard truth to accept when you're going through suffering? Um that God is working for your good in the midst of your suffering. Um, it's easy for to say that, to give counsel to someone and say, you know what, God's working for your good. But it's when, when you're going through the suffering, it's a lot harder. That God is allowing suffering for a redemptive purpose. That's a hard truth to, to keep hold of. It's a foundational truth for followers of Christ, yet it's, man, it's hard to hold on to when suffering in this life comes. Um, Eliphaz's speech continues through chapter 5 and, and he finally gets to what he wants Job to understand um, in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 5 Eliphaz makes sure that Job understands that it is God who is bringing this suffering suffering doesn't just happen for no reason the sinner is taken in suffering um, and as we move into chapter 5 he says verse 1 says call now is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills the fool, and jealousy slays the people. The foolish and the simple are always taken away in sufferings. What he's saying, uh, you know, he's saying that, you know, who who are you going to turn to, other than God? He's trying to get Job to admit that he has some secret sin for which God is punishing him. He says, who are you going to turn to? He says, if you keep this path up, you're just going to die like a fool. And and jealousy is going to slay you like a simple person. <clears throat> so the foolish are simple and they're always taken away in suffering is basically his point. Next, next Job says that um, there may be a time when a fool looks like he's doing well, uh, but it, it'll, it'll never last long. Verse three says, <clears throat> "Excuse me, did I say Job? This is this is this is Eliphaz. He's saying, he says, I have seen once again, pointing to his experience. I have seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. His children are far from safety; they are crushed in the gate, and there is no one to deliver them." He's saying, "Foolish people, sinful people, they don't prosper." Verse five says, "The hungry eat his harvest, the foolish man, and he takes it." even out of thorns and the thirsty pant after his wealth. <coughs> the uh, 
Eliphaz is trying to convince Job that if he were truly righteous, if he were not a fool, if he were not uh, some kind of uh, wretched sinner in a secretive manner that he's hiding from God and not bringing before his attention, then he would be blessed. And the only reason that his children are far from safety, like in verse 4, that they are crushed and that no one delivers them, the only reason that the hungry have eaten his harvest and people have taken away all his stuff is because... He is an unjust person. That's what Eliphaz is telling him. Um, unless a person is just and good in this life, he will never experience things that are good in this life. That's Eliphaz's counsel to Job. Um, once again, you know, this is it's just Eliphaz's works-based religion coming out. Do good and you get good. He is trying to he's trying to help and comfort Job. Uh, but in reality, he's simply offering Job a system of merit to to get out of the jam he's in. That's what he's wanting, just to get get out of this suffering. And uh, you, you can't say that suffering just happens. It is God himself who either causes it or allows it. Uh, he continues in verse 6, says, For affliction does not come out of the dust. It doesn't just happen. Nor does trouble sprout from the ground. And verse 7 says, But man is born to tr trouble as the sparks fly upward. That means just as sparks will fly upward, surely man is born to trouble. At least here, at least in these verses, we can see a semblance of truth in what Eliphaz is saying. Affliction doesn't just come from nowhere. God is in control of all things, and man is definitely born into a fallen world where trouble abounds. But where Eliphaz is missing the boat is he's trying to pinpoint the purpose God has in the midst of Job's particular suffering. And we know that he's way off base. We know why Job is suffering, and Eliphaz has got it all wrong. Um, it's not because <clears throat> of some lack of devotion or some missed sin that he refuses to repent of. So now we're getting down to the brass tacks. If you were Job at this point, you would probably be saying, so what do you expect me to do, Eliphaz? What, what would you counsel me to do? Aren't you supposed to be here to comfort and support me? How, how, is, how is this any help to me at all? And uh, finally, Eliphaz is going to tell Job what he needs to do to alleviate all this suffering. So here's basically, after all this, after all this speech, here's basically Eliphaz's counsel for Job. This is what you must do to alleviate your suffering. He doesn't try to. He doesn't try to uh, give Job any any hope as in, in God's goodness or the hope that we have in in the the life to come when there will be no suffering. What he want what he's basically giving Job is a way to get out of your suffering right now. And verse eight says, As for me, I would seek God, and to God would I commit my cause. So Job, what you need to do is you need to repent. You need to repent of your sin. You've done something for which God is punishing you. Uh just turn back to God and then and then uh, Eliphaz is going to continue showing what God will do for him if he does repent. Now I want you to see there, everything is based in this life. Verse 9 says, uh, you know, I, I would turn to God. Verse 9 says, God who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. 
10, he gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the field. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their own craftiness and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. This is things God does. The wily is, he's switching subjects here, verse 14. They meet with darkness in the daytime and they grope at noonday as at night. But he saves the needy from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts their mouth. Now, there are a lot of true statements in what Eliphaz just said. Um, you, you read statements like that in the Psalms, in, in the prophets. You read them where God lifts up those who are poor and God helps those who are infirm. Uh, but you have to remember, he is talking to Job about what's going on in this life. He's not talking about God exalting believers in eternity when everything's made right and all tears are wiped away. He's basically telling Job that if he will admit what he has done wrong, and turn from that sin, God will restore his health, restore his children, restore all his loss, and he'll be back to the same old happy life that he had beforehand. Uh, verse 17 says, Behold, blessed is the one who God reproves, therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. He's saying God is disciplining you for a reason. It's because you have done wrong. Uh, verse 18, he said, If you repent... He says, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. Verse 20, in famine, he will redeem you from death and in war from the power of the sword. See, it's all based in this life. Verse 21, you shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue. People won't talk about you. Yeah, right. And shall not fear destruction when it comes. Verse 22. At destruction and famine you shall laugh and shall not fear the beasts of the earth. Verse 23. For you shall be in league with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is at peace and you shall inspect your fold, your, your flocks, your sheep and miss nothing. You see he's telling them God's going to replace all this stuff. God's going to give you the, the good life that you want. Verse 25, you shall know also that your offspring shall be many. He's going to replace your children and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in a ripe old age. He's talking about everything in this life. Like a sheaf gathered up in its season. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear and know it for your good. He's telling them, look. God does not bring suffering in this life to those who trust him and repent of their sin and turn back to him. We know on the face of that 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 claim is false. Uh, just think of the Christian martyrs all through the century that God allowed to go to the lions and go, you know, all these different things. The, the apostles themselves were murdered. So... <clears throat> Eliphaz's claim is just, I mean, it's ridiculous. He's saying if you would turn back to God, then God's going to give you your children back. He's going to give you your tents back. He's going to give you your flocks back. He's going to do all those things. And so um, we come to the end of Eliphaz's first speech. And, uh, and uh, 
if Job would just admit, this is what he's trying to tell him, if Job would just admit that he has some secret sin for which he hasn't repented and he's hiding, then God would stop punishing him. God would stop his suffering and restore all the things Job has lost and he will live to be an old man and be thoroughly blessed by God who blesses those who do good. So what do you think about about that advice? I mean, in some senses, it sounds like good advice, doesn't it? It sounds, it sounds fair, except we know that in this case it's completely wrong. Job has not done anything in God's eyes to merit this punishment, to merit this this uh, this kind of treatment, and uh, you know, um, a lot of people may say, "Well, you know, Job's a sinner just like everybody else," and I realize that. But I'm talking about God's own testimony in chapter one and two. God's own testimony of Job was that he was a righteous man and that he was blameless. You know, not sinless, but he was devoted to God and offered sacrifices and had faith in God. So God's own testimony nullifies what Eliphaz is saying, and. Uh, you know, God's never promised a man uh, a life free of suffering if he will just, quote-unquote, be good, something, you know, we can't do as sinful humans anyway. Uh, so jumping on the bandwagon and saying everything is going to be okay if you would just turn uh, from whatever sin you're hiding, um, it's not necessarily the proper thing to say to one who is suffering. There will inevitably be a day when we all suffer. When I don't care if you're the most pious man on the planet, there's going to come a day when you will end up in a hospital bed. There will be a day when you will get sick. Um, this is the world in which we live. Even the most pious of believers are going to die, are going to die eventually. Until we reach the eternal state, things will not be okay. They just won't. Yet we have a hope above all hopes because Jesus paid for our sin and made us right before the Father. We look forward to a day when everything will be perfected and and made right. And all those promises will be filled in, in, in total completion. But we can never expect that it will be in this lifetime. And touting a works-based religion that says, be a good boy and God will make your life happy, um, it's, it, it's not just wrong it's destructive.